Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Thursday. It's April 20th. It's a game day for the Phoenix Suns as they are facing the Clippers. Game number three of the series in L.A. tonight. We'll certainly get into much more of that in today's program. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today. So Kalo riding solo with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. We'll pop on out to the KDOS hotline as will be joined by Cody Benjamin with CBSSports.com. Get his uh, analysis about what's going on in the world of the NFL as we are officially one week away from day one of the NFL draft. In addition to that, we will have a Warriors conversation. John Cannon, some of you may remember him, longtime Valley talk show host. He's joining us around 11.15 today. But let's set the scene with today's poll questions as we typically do, and we'll start here with the KDOS1060.com poll question in reference to tonight's game with the Suns. What happens Thursday night in L.A.? Suns minus two and a half, Clippers plus two and a half. The masses, you're out on the Suns side of things at 60% of the vote, Clippers sitting at 40%. We'll dive into that around 1130 today. Tossing this on over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. And well, the question was posted this morning and then the Arizona Diamondbacks made some moves as well uh, about uh, 45 minutes or so ago. So here's the question. Is it time to remove Madison Bumgarner from the starting rotation? Well, the Diamondbacks did a little bit more than that. They have designated... Madison Bumgarner for assignment this morning. Uh, So this will essentially, uh, the Diamondbacks are set to eat a little more than $34 million that is left on Madison Bumgarner's contract for the rest of this season and 2024. Assuming he's going to clear waivers and no team is going to trade for him, that seems the most logical thing. He would be eligible then to sign with any club for a league minimum of just over $700,000. Nick Pecoro of Arizona Republic was the first to report about this. In addition to that, he reported that uh, Tommy Henry is likely to get the start, at least the very first start of Madison Bumgarner's in the rotation when that comes around uh, because, well, Madison Bumgarner, he got the start yesterday morning for the Diamondbacks in a game against the St. Louis Cardinals, something we'll get into a little bit more in the program here. But we can still answer this question around 1130 because uh, removing Madison Bumgarner from the starting rotation is different than DFAing him. So we can still uh, find ways to answer this question. But We'll answer that around 1130. That's on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Let's go back 
briefly here to last night's games. You had the Lakers and the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies coming out on top 103 to 93. Uh, This was a game where Tyus Jones got the start for the injured Ja Morant. Tyus Jones, 4 of 11, 0 of 5 from 3, but 8 assists, 10 points, doing a great job of facilitating things for the Grizzlies. For the Grizzlies, though, Xavier Tillman, he's the one that stood out. He imposed his will. Career night for him. 10 of 13, 22 points, 13 rebounds. In addition to that, the Grizzlies got a lift from Luke Kennard off the bench. He was 4 of 7, 3 of 4 from 3 for 13 points. The Lakers, they just started off slow. They missed a lot of open shots early on. Five turnovers in the first quarter. Scored just 19 points in that first quarter. LeBron James, though, He continued to lead the way for the team, 28 points on 12 of 23, but uh, they didn't really establish Anthony Davis. He struggled as well, but it just seems like the ability to take advantage of this height mismatch, to ability to take advantage of how the Grizzlies were going to play a little bit of a different style of basketball without John Morant, uh, they, they didn't do that. Anthony Davis, 4 of 14 for 13 points and 9 rebounds. However, LeBron, being 38 years old, as long as he's been in the league, he continues to rack up records. Uh, this time here in his 103rd playoff game, with at least 20 points and 10 rebounds. That now ties him with Tim Duncan on the list in fourth place. Still behind Shaq, Carl Malone, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They still have more, but still 103 playoff games. First of all, just be able to play 103 playoff games, let alone 103 playoff games with at least 20 points and 10 rebounds. Like I said... A little bit surprising and shocking that the Lakers did lack the intensity, the struggles that they had, a golden opportunity to go up 2-0 on the Grizzlies, going back to L.A., so really to steal two uh, on the road. Just a little bit surprised about the lackluster effort there and the intensity from the Lakers. As for the Grizzlies, once again, the questions here, Xavier Tillman, he had a career night. Can he keep doing that? Obviously, we'll be waiting on the status of John Morant and see when he can make a return. The series does return to L.A. starting Saturday at 7 p.m. It'll be all tied up 1-1. Something to note, though, the Grizzlies are, in fact, 27-8 and without John Morant. So maybe we shouldn't have been so surprised. Maybe the Lakers shouldn't have... Uh, kind of taken it a little bit for granted about uh, not having jaw and really kind of uh, trying to impose their will and, like I said, take advantage of going up to nothing back home to L.A. However, it's heating up on the court, off the court. Dylan Brooks, he's at it again for the Grizzlies with his trash talking, uh, continuing to go after LeBron. Brooks said post game, I don't care. He's old. I poke bears. I don't respect no one until they come and give me 40. Well, (laughs) LeBron has had some pretty darn good success against the Grizzlies. He hasn't dropped 40 on the Grizzlies yet, but he's dropped 40 plenty of times in his playoff career. So we'll see how this continues to shape up. As I mentioned, series returns to L.A. Saturday, 7 p.m. No Giannis for the Bucks. No Tyler Hero for the Heat. 
The Bucks cruise to victory, 138 to 122. For the Heat, you know, Jimmy Butler, he continues to do Jimmy Butler things, 25 points on 8 of 12. Bam Adebayo, 18 points on 9 of 16. For the Bucks, Bob had mentioned this yesterday that uh, one of the key players that needed to, to really elevate was Brooks Lopez. He stepped up in a huge way. 25 points on 12 of 17. Drew Holiday added in 24 points on 10 of 19. Uh, I'm just going to add this in here for the sake of pointing it out. I'm not going to have any context behind it. Just just pointing it out. Jay Crowder, 15 minutes, 0 for 4 from the floor, 3 rebounds, 1 assist. When it comes to the contest, though, here, uh, the Bucks, they're the better team, with or without Giannis. They're the deeper team. They have guys who can shoot the lights out. They can play defense. I don't expect this to be much more of a series. I know it's all tied up 1-1, but certainly the loss of Tyler Hero is very impactful to the, Heat's te- to the Heat team because now all of a sudden you don't have 20-plus points per game on a team that doesn't really score a whole lot of points as it is. They don't light it up from three. So trying to get positive offensive possessions is going to continue to be a challenge, especially against a team like the Bucs who do play some pretty good defense. So uh, I know this is all tied up. It goes back to Miami on Saturday at 4.30 p.m., but there's not really a whole lot that I foresee taking place where the Bucks are going to run into much trouble uh, in this particular series with or without Giannis. The final game from last night, it was the Nuggets and the Timberwolves. The Nuggets beat the Timberwolves 122 to 113. This game, 64 to 49 at half. And then the Timberwolves came out in the third quarter behind an explosion from Anthony Edwards. He ended the game with 41 points. I mean, of course this was going to happen, right? I had just got done saying yesterday that he's been inconsistent at best so far uh, to kind of conclude the season and to start these playoffs. They had the play-in games. Now they've had this series so far with the Nuggets. So, of course, he goes and he drops 41 and uses an explosive third quarter to get it done. Carl Anthony Towns, he was in foul trouble early and ended the night with just 10 points. He has not been good so far in this series against the Nuggets. For the Nuggets, they were lifted by Jamal Murray. 40 points, 13 of 22. Jokic, he continues to be consistent. Jokic, 27 points, 10 of 19. You also had Michael Porter Jr. stepping up big time. So after that, Timberwolves come out on their run where you thought maybe this was going to be another game where the Nuggets just took it to the Timberwolves and, and didn't have to think much about anything moving forward. Anthony Edwards had other things in mind in that third quarter. They come back out in the fourth quarter, reset, establish themselves as the better team, and Michael Porter Jr. had a lot to do with that. 13 of his 16 came in the fourth quarter. This is a maybe a little surprising, maybe not, just because of some of the context surrounding the Nuggets and Michael Malone and whether or not they're they're uh, going to make it to the Western Conference and what the expectations are for this Nuggets team. This now happens to be the first time Denver has held a 2-0 series lead with head coach Michael Malone in place. Just for how good the Nuggets have been, that is a little bit surprising, but they hold that 2-0 lead. They'll go to uh, Minnesota tomorrow, 6.30 p.m., 
I don't know. I just think Denver's the much better team all around. So I can't foresee, like, yeah, the Timberwolves can put up a fight here, but Denver's better. We'll step aside, make room for Cody Benjamin, CBSSports.com. We'll dive into the world of the NFL, get ourselves ready for the NFL draft, which is just one week away. The Cardinals, they have plenty of decisions ahead, right? Do they stay put at number three? Can they find a trade partner for number three? What do they do with DeAndre Hopkins? What do they do with Buda Baker? We'll try to get Cody Benjamin's assessment on this and much more from around the NFL. So we'll do that next right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today. Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon right here on KDOS AM 1060. Teams Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night starting at 7 on KDUS AM 1060 and the KDUS 1060 app. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. One week to the NFL draft. We head on out to the KDOS hotline as we're joined by Cody Benjamin, CBSSports.com. Cody, repeat guest. Always appreciate the time on the program. How are you today? I'm doing well, Kayla. How about you? We're doing good. Anytime we get to talk NFL, I'm always a little happier. Uh, so let, let's get things started, though. Right here in Arizona, there happens to be a lot happening. The potential for pick number three to be on the move, DeAndre Hopkins wanting out and signs pointing to that he maybe wants to play for Buffalo or Kansas City. Then you also have Buda Baker requesting a trade. So I'll ask about Buda here. He's the leader of this defense. It's understandable that he doesn't want to stick around for a rebuild. Is he valuable to other teams around the league on their defense? And what could the Cardinals get for him if they do move on from him? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, is he valuable? Yes. Um, but the question then becomes, at what price? Um, you know, that's, that really is, that determines so much of, you know, a guy's value in the NFL. You know, the whole offseason we've been talking about Lamar Jackson and, and, you know, his value to the Ravens, his value or lack thereof to other NFL teams. And it's all the price tag that, that really does inform this. And so I, I, I certainly think, you know, you'd have, you'd have a dozen teams, if not more, that would inquire if they haven't already about Buda Baker. Um, but it's just a matter of, you know, how much are you paying this guy over the long term? You know, is that going to change in the next year or two? Um, and so, I, I mean, I, I would say, it wouldn't be a a massive return, I think, because of the price tag. Um, certainly, I think you could get, you know, um, a pick that's in the first three rounds. Um, I, and again, I've seen different numbers floated for that. But um, you know, it, it seems like the Eagles have been mentioned. You know, Buda Baker went on record and talked about how he liked Nick Sirianni. That's not a team. I I, I don't think that they're interested right now in paying a premium um, at safety after spending money at cornerback this offseason, um, after kind of shying away from paying C.J. Gardner-Johnson. So I'm not, you know, I, I would, I, I much sooner would believe that DeAndre Hopkins will be on the move, and I think the draft will help dictate, you know, that market once once the draft is underway. 
Cody Benjamin, CBSSports.com here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Points. All right, so it's also the period of time in which a lot of things get floated around. Certain narratives start going out depending upon what team wants something out there. So are you believing the latest narrative that the Texans might not take a quarterback with the number two overall pick? And if that is their strategy, do you see value in them going in a different direction? I, you know, I don't buy this. I mean, I will believe that uh, they're passing on a quarterback when I see it. Now, you know, is it possible that they're not in love with, you know, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud? Maybe. Um, you know, it, it, is it possible that they really, really like Bryce Young, but they're convinced that he's going number one, and so, you know, they're not as sold on C.J. Stroud? I, I think that's possible. I just don't see – you know, Nick Casario, uh, you know, a year ago, um, you know, in his two years, I guess, as Texans GM, you know, he's not had a franchise answer at quarterback. He had Deshaun Watson sit out an entire season while he was looking to be moved and dealing with his off-field issues. And then he kind of let Davis Mills go unchallenged as a starter last year. This, I mean, you, you just don't get, unless he's planning on picking again in the top five, which wouldn't be great, you think, for the job security, you don't get these these chances um, all the time. And so I think C.J. Stroud, that would represent an immediate upgrade, um, assuming Bryce, Bryce Young goes number one. Um, I, I, you know, I think D'Amico Ryans would love himself a premier defender, but they also own the number 12 pick. And you're going to be able to get um, a guy that can plug in along the defensive line or at cornerback, even if you sit there. So, I, I mean, I'm until I see it, you know, I don't believe that they're going to pass on a quarterback at number two. Uh, well, let, you mentioned Bryce Young there, assuming he's going to go number one overall. So are you on the side of things that you believe that's the direction the Panthers are going? And for you evaluating Bryce Young, what would be your pros and cons for Young at the NFL level? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am of the opinion, I guess, that he's going to go number one. I know that, you know, these things change so much. You could ask me. Uh, a month ago, and, you know, the, the, the lean would have been towards C.J. Stroud just because of that prototypical size, maybe a safer bet in terms of staying uh, upright under center. Obviously, Frank Reich has that, that track record working with those more prototypical passers. Um, but, you know, I, I think that Bryce Young, you know, really, you really have to look hard to find flaws outside of the size. And I know that you know, with the Arizona market, you're very familiar with, you know, this is the conversation with Kyler Murray coming out, um, his size, and yet, you know, he's a different type of player uh, than Bryce Young. Certainly more explosive, uh, a little more shifty in the open field. Um, uh, he, he really is an off-script kind of a quarterback, and Bryce Young is that as well, but I think he's he's a little bit more polished, especially in big game moments as, a, as an actual, you know, prototypical passer, a guy who You've seen the the term, you know, the phrase point guard uh, floated around as a comparison for the way that Bryce Young plays. Um, So I think, you know, the cons certainly, you know, we've beaten it to death, but the size is part of it. You want to be able to withstand the hits that that come with an NFL career. Um, You know, you, you want him to be able to maybe stand in the pocket a little bit longer. But pros, I mean, the guy has, he has the touch that you want. He has the feel that you want. He, you know, much like Jalen Hurts, who also had a, a, an established career at Alabama, he just seems so much older and wiser uh, than, you know, a 21, 22-year-old kid. So I think if the Panthers take him, they're going to be in good hands. 
Bouncing around NFL topics here with Cody Benjamin from CBSSports.com right here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. So Tua Tangovaloa, he met the media yesterday, said that he contemplated retirement after his multiple concussions last season. He has been medically cleared to play and at this point will keep doing so. So from a Dolphins standpoint, what are the biggest areas of need in the draft to help them put pieces together to contend in this AFC and especially in all of a sudden, I mean, We'll have to wait to see if Aaron Rodgers makes his way over to the Jets, but in this potentially vaunted AFC East. Yeah, I mean, I think you can never go wrong addressing the trenches. Um, you know, I know they invested at tackle last year with Teron Armstead and free agency. Um, I just think, you know, especially when you have a quarterback who is more of an on rhythm, on script type of quarterback, uh, just the same way in San Francisco, um, the way that they build around Jimmy Garoppolo. And Brock Purdy, um, so much revolves around just the protection up front. And you could say that for so many teams, but I just think when push comes to shove, um, you know, if you can add and bolster the depth up front uh, for your quarterback, I think that that's, that's key. Now, defensively, um, you know, I think you could still make an investment at linebacker. I know that they, they made the big trade for Jalen Ramsey. They added David Long from the Titans in free agency. You know, Vic Fangio's presence there as a defensive coordinator is going to go a long way, you think, toward kind of restoring that Miami defense. But basically any, you know, long-term addition at any level of that on that side of the ball is also going to come in handy, you know, especially if they are playing. Um, you know, I know Tua aired it out a lot um, early in last season, but at the end of the day, the most sustainable path to victory for the Dolphins is building around Tua's strength, and that's Again, on schedule, on rhythm throws, an offense that controls the football and leans on the defense. Uh, So you also have what's going on in San Francisco. What do you make of the 49ers receiving calls on Trey Lance? And is the team really prepared to go with Sam Darnold if Brock Purdy isn't back and healthy? Well, it's sure, you know, it's sure shaping up that way. I know that these, you know, reports come out and sometimes they mean something, sometimes they don't. There has been just so much smoke uh, around this Trey Lance situation, and it's it's not really necessarily fair to Trey Lance. I mean, certainly the the investment that they made in him, you'd think that they'd want to give him a legit shot at redemption there. I mean, the, the injury was a yeah, – I don't know if you want to say it was a freak thing. I mean, he wasn't um, – he certainly was performing okay, you know, considering he was playing in bad weather and then suffered the injury before he went down. Um, you know, Brock Purdy, his health is a huge question mark for this season. Um, but but any time that it's floated, that a team is fielding calls, that they are listening, you always hear this, that they're not, they're not actively selling, they're not actively shopping, but they're listening. I mean, if that came from the 49ers, it's clearly an effort to drum up interest, to, to get your best offers in, and... It's before Trey Lance has even had a full season to try and work as a Niners starter. So, yeah, I mean, would anyone be shocked if he was moved on draft weekend? I don't think so, even though it is kind of crazy, you know, how his career has unfolded. We'll stay right with the quarterbacks here. Jalen Hurts, he got a $255 million extension with $179.3 million guaranteed. He does become the highest paid quarterback in the league per year ahead of Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray. So first up here, I'll stop here. Was this a smart deal for the Eagles and for Jalen? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that on one hand, you know, you kind of 
you met in the middle here a little bit. On one hand, it's a little bit longer, uh, slightly longer than some of the extensions we've seen lately. You know, a five-year deal where you're, you know, it is it is setting a new record for per-year average. Um, but it's not it's not necessarily breaking the bank when you consider, you know, what guys like Daniel Jones um, and Geno Smith and Derek Carr got this offseason. Um, so I think it is relatively team-friendly. Um, we've seen that teams are capable of getting out of contract extensions, even big money ones like these, if they need to. I mean, the Eagles, you just look at the, the way that Jalen Hurts entered and started his career. Um, they drafted him a year after signing Carson Wentz to that, that massive four-year extension. They were able to get out of it, and it worked out in their favor. So I think for Jalen Hurts, um, you know, certainly to go from, uh, you know, where he was in 2020 as a rookie, kind of thrown into the fire, coaching staff was replaced at the end of the year, um, and then the team kind of building around him this past offseason, to be making now $51 million a year, that's great for him too. So I think it is a truly a, a win-win for both sides there. So piggybacking off of this contract talk, what does this do to reset the market once again for quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert? Yeah, I mean, the easy answer is the floor is now set for their deal, right? I mean, that's that's the way that it's gone. Um, if you're an elite quarterback, if you are a top five quarterback, um, you know, when you sign your contract, the way that the market goes is that you are next to reset it. And so you're talking $51 million a year is going to be the minimum uh, asking price for, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Certainly, Tua is in a little bit of a different conversation there. Um, and, and that's what we're going to get into, you know, how many years are teams, you know, putting on these deals? You know, can the Bengals and Chargers afford to guarantee uh, such a, a big portion of those deals if they're signing them? You know, I would, I would be a little bit surprised if the Burrow and Herbert deals are for five years, um, just because I'm not sure, you know, some of those teams and their ownership – you know, if you're guaranteeing a big portion of those of a deal that size, you know, there are those, those rules. There's NFL rules where you do have to put those into an escrow account. Some ownership uh, groups are just not – I mean, they're billionaires, but some of them are not as lucrative. So uh, I'd be a little bit surprised if, you know, the Burrow and, and Herbert deals went beyond four years. Cody Benjamin, CBSSports.com, chatting NFL right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. All right, I'm putting you into the prognosticator role. Will Lamar Jackson be playing football to start the 2023 season in a Ravens uniform? I'm going to say yes. I mean, this is another, you know, just the same way when we talked about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. This is another one where, I mean, you asked me a month ago or three weeks ago, my answer might have been totally different. Um, It changes so quickly. Um, I think we've seen this play out before in terms of a team and a big-name player not getting along publicly, not being on the same page, and yet they're still together. And I think that it's fitting we're talking about, you know, this in the, the, the Arizona station where, you know, last offseason, depending on the week, you could have believed that Kyler Murray and the Cardinals were headed for, you know, an ugly divorce. We've got the agent floating um, basically a demand for a big money deal, listing off all Kyler's accomplishments. You've got the social media drama, deleting pictures and whatnot. And yet, they sign a huge extension. They are tied together whether or not they like it because they eventually came back to the table and they figured it out. Um, so I think a similar situation is most likely 
for the Ravens and Lamar Jackson unless, you know, you've got a wild card team like, like you know, San Francisco during the draft, um, you know, kind of sweeping in and, and changing things. So I think, you know, more likely than not, Lamar Jackson ends up in Baltimore again, which is where he wants to be. He just wants to be compensated there. So I think that's most likely. Another quarterback situation that's been playing out in the media here. What's going on in New England? And can Bill O'Brien, the new offensive coordinator, save the supposed deterioration of the relationship with Bill Belichick and Mac Jones and get enough out of Mac Jones? Well, if it doesn't happen this year, then I think you really start, um, you know, it's a natural point to start asking, you know, what Bill Belichick is going to do next. I mean, I don't think it would have been crazy for the Patriots to be involved in the Lamar Jackson tweet stake. Um, you know, up to this point, that doesn't look like it's going to be the case. But it sure makes sense to me. I mean, Bill Belichick, you know, 71, he's got to be getting, you'd think, a little impatient uh, post-Tom Brady as far as competing and getting production at quarterback. Certainly the foundation of the team, you know, the offensive line, the weapons, the philosophy of playing offense, certainly that has something to do with it. And so that's where you'd hope that Bill O'Brien is kind of getting Mac Jones back to, you know, rookie season level or, or beyond. But even that, I'm not sure the ceiling is, is massive, you know, is, is massively high um, for Mac Jones in that regard. So, I mean, can, can, he, can he get Mac Jones back to uh, competent, to serviceable, to a top 15 starting production? I think that's possible, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised at all. If a year from now we're, we're having the same conversation wondering what the Patriots are doing at quarterback. Cody, before I let you go here today, uh, flipping this back to the draft, who is a name that isn't getting a lot of pre-draft chatter, but you really like them? That's a great question. Um, you know, I know the receiver class is a little bit odd this year and that you've got, you know, a couple of guys that could go in the first round. You're not sure what order. Um, you know, Zay Flowers from Boston College is the guy that, you know, on the smaller side, there's quite a few guys like that. He, he could be the first receiver off the board. He could be the fourth receiver off the board. But you like the explosiveness, I think, you see there. Uh, that's a guy that you could possibly, you know, move around the field in the slot outside. Um, so that's a name I know. I don't know if that's, that's deep enough or, or uh, deep enough of a sleeper for you, but Zay Flowers and then. You know, Jalen Hyatt has drawn some, uh, some Deshaun Jackson comparisons as well, just his deep speed. You know, I'd be willing if one of those guys is available um, toward the back end of the first um, or, the, or early second, I think you could be looking at a steal there at wide receiver. Cody, we always appreciate you taking some time for us, and we look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks so much, Kayla. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Once again, he is Cody Benjamin, CBSSports.com. Zay Flowers, he's somebody that has certainly been all of a sudden kind of getting a lot of hype here in the last week or so. Uh, So we'll be interested to see what ends up happening with him. Also, I guess because he worked out with Patrick Mahomes, and so that, of course, caught everyone's attention on the social media world that he was getting some, some time with the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes.
On the other side, we'll get into some Diamondbacks. Uh, the news from this morning about them DFAing Madison Bumgarner. So we'll get into that. And the team, they're back at it. Chase Field tonight. So we'll dive into that and more around Major League Baseball. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Cody Benjamin of CBSSports.com for his time on the program. If you missed any of the NFL discussion with Cody, you can always podcast over at KDOS1060.com as well as with the KDOS1060 app or with Spotify and Apple. As we continue on with our number one, let's get into a little bit about the Arizona Diamondbacks. So they lost yesterday morning's contest to the St. Louis Cardinals 14 to 5. Madison Bumgarner, he got the start. He went three innings, gave up seven hits, seven runs, four walks, two strikeouts, and one home run. On the season so far with the Diamondbacks, 16 and two thirds innings pitched. He has given up 15 walks and he's had just 10 strikeouts. So I thought to myself here, you know, what's kind of been the standard for strikeouts across the league so far? And most starting pitchers have been able to complete through four games. Uh, Spencer Strider with the Braves, he's leading the league with 36 strikeouts. Pablo Lopez with the Twins is at 33 strikeouts. And you have Garrett Cole and Jacob deGrom, each at 32 strikeouts apiece. Zach Gallen, he finds himself actually tied for 10th with 28 strikeouts. You actually then have to go uh, several pages down to find Madison Bumgarner with the 10 strikeouts. And uh, ironically, he's actually tied with Andrew Chafin, relief pitcher for the Diamondbacks, with 10. Uh, so the question that we have posed on Twitter today is, is it time to remove Madison Bumgarner from the starting rotation? Well, the Arizona Diamondbacks this morning answered that question for us. Uh, First reported by Nick Nick Picoro of the Arizona Republic, Madison Bumgarner designated for assignment. If he clears waivers, he can then sign with any team for a minimum of $720,000. Nick Picoro also reporting that Tommy Henry will get the start in Mad Bum's rotation spot, at least to get things started. Um I can save my answer here for the poll question uh, in kind of more my thoughts and how surprised I am or not by this decision that the club has made and just overall the nature in which they didn't get a lot out of Madison Bumgarner when he signed here back in uh, 2020. So we'll save that for 1130. But for the club itself, they're home tonight at Chase Field. They're hosting the Padres. It's going to be a Ryan Nelson start. He's 1-0 with a 3.71 ERA. Going up against the Padres is Michael Waka, who's 2-1 with a 6 6.06 ERA gets started at 6.40 p.m. on Bally Sports Arizona. And if you look at the NLS standings right now here on in Thursday, April 20th, the Diamondbacks are out in front at 11 and 8. Then you have the Dodgers sitting at 9 and 10. The Padres 9 and 11. 
you'd have to think for the Padres that they're feeling a little bit disappointed with this start uh, just because the expectations for this team, they made all those moves at the trade deadline, what they did in the offseason, the expectations for this club have not rested. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., he is going to be making his debut after his 80-game PED suspension tonight. Uh, so we'll see if he can kind of shoot this lineup out of a cannon for the Padres just because of the expectations that they have. Rounding out the NL West, the Giants at 6-11 and 11 and the Rockies at 5 and 14. I saw this from Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com, a friend of the program and friend of the Sports Zones program, uh, talking about how why not for the Giants bring back Madison Bumgarner? You just have to pay him $720,000. You're not good this year. There's no expectations this year. The Giants fan base can kind of salute him for what he did with his time there in the Buster Posey and Bruce Boshi eras and getting you a couple of World Series rings. So I thought that was kind of an interesting take there from Matt Snyder. Sticking around the world of Major League Baseball, it's looking like it might be the end of the Oakland A's because the Oakland A's have signed a binding agreement yesterday to purchase 49 acres of land in Las Vegas. That's meant for a new stadium. Oakland officials have said that they will cease negotiations with the team in light of this news. So Vegas, all of a sudden, couldn't have professional sports there. Now you have uh, potentially here moving forward with the A's relocating. You would have the Raiders in the last couple of years, the Las Vegas Aces in the last couple of years, the Las Vegas Knights in the last couple of years. Las Vegas is the new destination. Plus, you've had uh, they're going to be hosting the Super Bowl next year. They've hosted an NFL draft. So Las Vegas and all of the stereotypes and stigmatisms behind it seem to be on the other side of things uh, with professional sports moving in and finding Las Vegas to be a destination place. Interesting here, Major League Baseball's last relocation took place back in 2005 when the Expos left Montreal for Washington, D.C. and became the Nationals. The other story in Major League Baseball is that the Mets, they got a win over the Dodgers 5-3 to three yesterday, but it was the story of Max Scherzer. He was ejected in the fourth inning after checks of his hands and gloves in the second and third inning. And yes, I say gloves because... According to all of the reports here, the umpires made Max Scherzer wash his hands. They made him change gloves. They continued to check his hands. They said that it was getting stickier and stickier and that it was the stickiest that they have felt all season long. Scherzer insists that there was no uh, banned foreign substance on his hands, that it was just sweat and rosin. But According to the rules, if you really dig into it here, uh, there's like an amount of rosin that can be used and it's up to the umpire to say, hey, this this is too much. Uh, so this whole notion of that it was the stickiest that they felt all season was that it, it's not giving a level playing field to everyone else. I don't really know if there's an appeal process here. It's possible that Scherzer could end up facing a 10 game suspension. He probably would like to protest it if that's if that's a possibility for him. 
Uh, but what a what a wild story. What a wild story for the Mets who just keep losing pitchers. It would not be great if they lost Scherzer for 10 games. But they did get the win. They did beat the Dodgers after all of this. 5-3. to three. And Scherzer was off to a pretty good start, too. Through four innings before he was tossed. Hour number one. We'll conclude it on the other side of the break. We'll get a check-in of the Zurich Classic. Remember, TPC Louisiana team event. We'll see how our guys are doing. Check on the leaderboard and some other news around the world of golf as well. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today. Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Wrapping up hour number one next. downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. Wrapping up hour number one on this Thursday, April 20th. Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's take a look at the PGA Tour. The Zurich Classic is underway, TPC Louisiana, as we mentioned yesterday, par 72, 7,425 yards. It's a unique event on the tour schedule because it's a team format. 80 teams are competing. You cut to the low 33 in ties. Today's format is four ball, which is best ball. Just a fancy way of calling it best ball or best score or whatever. I don't know why we need to complicate it, but it's the four ball here on Thursday. As we take a look at the leaderboard, Keith Mitchell, Sunjay M, Matt Fitzpatrick, and Alex Fitzpatrick are in the clubhouse done for the day. They shot 10 under par. These are two teams that I mentioned, Matt Fitzpatrick and Alex Fitzpatrick. We took them in the top 20 at plus 145 on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Uh, Just thought, one, Matt Fitzpatrick seems like he's healthy now. He's coming off of the win from the RBC. His brother Alex has a really good pedigree um, from Wake Forest. He doesn't currently have a tour to play on, but being able to play with his brother, just something seemed like, hey, Let's give the Fitzpatricks an opportunity here. Keith Mitchell, Sunjay M was another team I highlighted. Sunjay M, he's been rounding into form here of late. Keith Mitchell started off the year red hot, and they kind of tapered off here at the end, so you were just kind of wondering how that team was going to perform. Obviously, 62 here to start things off for round number one. Uh, If you're asking about the odds-on favorite, which was Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley event, uh, they are the defending champions, and they are getting their round started here probably on the first hole as we speak, so we don't really have an update from them, but they were plus 290 on the odds board. I said, no, let's let's try to find something else uh, down the board with some better odds value. Our other guys, Denny McCarthy, Joel, Joel Damon, they have yet to tee off. Same with Nikolai Hogard and Thorborn Olison. They don't tee off until noon today, so uh, we'll continue to monitor that throughout the show. The other top of the board team was 
Colin Morikawa and uh, Max Homa, plus 750. They are five under par through 17 holes so far. That is good enough for tied for 23rd as it sits right now. Tiger Woods. He announced that he underwent ankle surgery yesterday, a subtalar fusion he had. So had to play some doctor, figure out what on earth is a subtalar fusion. Well, the main function of the subtalar joint is to allow for side-to-side movement of the foot and the ankle. This movement aids in walking, especially on uneven surfaces. Well, this makes complete sense why Tiger Woods had to go have an operation on this. We saw him struggling mightily at the Masters. He made the cut, but then had to withdraw because of his struggles with walking. Obviously, this is all stemming from the accident that he had back in February of 2021 that he almost lost his leg. They were able to save it, but certainly he is continuing to have more and more difficulties with it. So obviously the career of Tiger Woods, what we once knew, not the same anymore. It's really unfortunate as he was an incredibly dominant golfer and will probably come up short of Jack's record of 18 majors. The LPGA Tour, they're at the Chevron Championship. It's the year's first major on the LPGA Tour. This is the first time in more than 50 years that this major is not being contested at Mission Hills in Rancho Mirage, California. Always remember watching that tournament. Is the winner, they would jump into Poppy's Pond, first done by Amy Alcott back in 1988. So to try to keep traditions alive, Chevron Championship cleaned up part of the lake on 18, added a ladder and a dock, and this is the part that gets me, installed a net to keep alligators away. Yeah, I don't think I'll be jumping in that lake anytime soon. Just give me the trophy, I guess. Hour number one complete, hour number two next. Next. 